Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa, and today it is Wednesday, October 26th. And y'all get me solo on the mic for this episode. And I'm excited. I'm excited for this. Because if you listen to the podcast or follow me on social media, you know that I went on this magical healing journey with psilocybin about six weeks ago. And no, this episode is not going to be about that. I'm not fully ready to deep dive into that episode yet, but soon, I think November or early December, you're going to, you're going to get the whole download. (laughs) Um, However, as I've been integrating is the word that um, people use, which is like processing the information that I received while taking a macro dose of magic mushrooms. Yes. Psilocybin is magic mushrooms. I took a very high dose guided like with a guide of a powerful hallucinogenic with the intention of it showing me what I need to see to heal my inner wounds. And for about four hours, I was like downloaded. I was like receiving all sorts of like the most profound lessons. I, I'm i excited to share them, but not today. What, since I've been integrating though, since that journey Something keeps coming up, which is my purpose, my why. Why do I coach? Why do I teach intuitive awareness? Why do I keep sharing the power of the mind with people? Why do I want to make the world a better place and to help you live a better life and to continue to show up for myself and lead by example and show others that they too have the power to live a life that they crave and desire and also feel safe and loved and strong in, right? That's so important to so many of us, right? Why do I do this? Have you ever sat down and thought about your why? Like the force that guides you to make choices, to follow or not follow your passion, to hold yourself accountable or not, to lead in your business maybe, towards a certain path or not, Right? There's a lot of roads that we can take in relationships to love people or not, to love ourselves or not. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe like in meditation or during a quiet moment? It's a really interesting question. Why? What is your why? What is your purpose? And a friend of mine recently asked me um, if I've ever podcasted about my why. And the truth is I, I haven't. So I told her, she specifically asked like, what is your why in business? What is your why in coaching? And so I told her and she immediately requested that I get on the mic and share the backbone of why I coach. So why I'm so passionate about intuitive awareness and why I believe that personal power and personal authenticity are two of the most misunderstood, invisible, unseen elements that are being literally manipulated 
and almost monopolized in today's culture. How we define personal power and personal authenticity is so far away from the beliefs within me. It's like, it's hard. It's not making one person wrong or, or, or not. It's just such a distraction from who you are right now because it's being monopolized. People are making money off of telling you what to do, that type of thing. Now, for those of you who are new to the show or maybe haven't heard my full, full story, I need to start my why here. My name is Elisa Curry-Lowitz. I'm a first-generation Canadian. My family, both sides, actually. I'm 100% Polish. I was born in Ottawa, Canada. And from a very young age, I was very competitive, uh, naturally acrobatic, and I had guts, uh, like, unmatched to any of my peers. I was so enthusiastic and ballsy and wanted to... I was a thrill seeker, a risk taker from a very young age. Uh, Unfortunately, my family uh, was a ski family. So I grew up skiing at Mont Tremblant in Quebec. I loved freestyle. I loved bushwhacking and hitting jumps with my brother. We used to like go off piste and just have a blast. And when I was 15 years old, I, I, I was... I qualified for, I started competing in freestyle moguls and I qualified for the Ontario freestyle mogul team. I was 15. A quick year later, one year, that was it. I was on the provincial team for one year. My talents and my hard work landed me on the Canadian national team. So I moved up the ladder very quickly. I was extremely talented and I worked hard, which is like that killer combination. When you're looking at athletics and sports, like there's Talent can only take you so far. Work ethic can only take you so far. But when you have both, man, you can be a force of nature. Uh, So I ended up um, being just that. And I competed for Canada for eight years. I I won World Cup gold. I was two-time national champion. And for a period of time during my athletic career, and this is something that I don't talk about very much. (laughs) I, I never embellish on this. But I was the best in the world. I was the best in the world, the whole world. Out of all the women in the entire world, I was the best. Yes, it was like in the big picture, it was a very short reign. (laughs) Very short reign of being the best. But there there are literally not many people on this earth that can say that they are the best in the world. So I am, I'm privileged, I am humbled to say that I am part of that excellence in sport and sporting achievement. It's, it's a, it's a, it was something I worked day in and day out for. I dedicated my life to sport and, and had that tremendous achievement. Now, for those of you who are wondering, no, I never went to the Olympic Games. So Canada sent four women to, and I was ranked second in Canada at the year when the year started in 2006 for the Torino Olympic Games. Those were supposed to be like my debut games, but I messed up all of my Olympic qualifiers. I choked, quote unquote. I was so nervous. I, I didn't have the skills or the capability to sort of focus and hone in and perform under that type of pressure. I wanted it so bad and I blew it. 
And on the very, very last qualifier, so the last event before the Olympics that I could use a result from to put me on the team, all I needed was a top 12. And I was, it was at a World Cup in a place called Madonna, Italy. And that day I actually finished 13th. I needed a top 12. I needed to be 12 or better. And I was 13th. That's a judge sport. And I basically, in that moment, watched my Olympic dream slip through my fingers, or so is what I've said. Now, the Olympic failure has been sort of the starting point of my story. And by failure, I mean me not qualifying for the Olympics, me not reaching the goal that I was so desperately trying to achieve. That's sort of where I've been starting That's been the starting point. Why? Because I I downward spiraled hard and fast and intentionally. I wanted to punish myself. I did not feel worthy. So all I could talk about was the failure. And I became the victim and I was victim signaling and all sorts of things. But this, that's not the part of the story that I want to talk about today. That's not entirely part of my why. Sure, I learned a shitload about myself in the dark, and that sort of came out, that comes out later. But after that 2006 season, I decided to quit the sport. I was not going to go to 2010, 2010 Olympics, which was in Canada, by the way. I did not want to commit four more years. I decided to hang up my competition boots and retire from the team. No one tried to talk me out of it. I saw that as a sign, but I also had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Being on the team and having that tunnel vision, being on the team did not prepare me for life after sport. It's really interesting how you grow up thinking you're supposed to be something and you learn how to be that person. And then when that's not there anymore, you, you, you're lost. I was lost. I lost my identity as an athlete. And it was, that is sort of the part that kicks off my why a little bit. (laughs) And it was really interesting The moment I announced my retirement, Ontario Freestyle, which was my old provincial sporting organization, remember, I I skied on that team for one year before I made the national team. They asked me if I'd be interested in going straight from competing into coaching their program. They were looking for someone more high performance minded to turn the program into a really competitive one because they had sort of like a, it wasn't a grassroots program. There were some really good athletes on the team, but it was a little bit more like a leisure program. I don't know. I wasn't, I can't really say for sure because I wasn't part of that program at the time. I was an athlete for team Canada. So I don't, I can't really speak to it, but they just asked me to come and make it more competitive. So I agreed. I was like, you know what? I don't know what to do with my life. I love this sport. I no longer want to compete. So I'm going to help other people get their goals because I know what it feels like to not reach mine. So I'm going to do everything I can to help all of these young up and coming athletes reach theirs. It's kind of like the back of my mind, what I based my whole program on. And I loved it. I loved coaching immediately. I felt powerful. 
I felt like I knew exactly how to be the best in the world. And I couldn't wait to mold the young talent on the team into winning machines. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) picture me, picture this. I'm like in my early 20s, I show up at my first training camp. I meet the eight athletes in the program. I set all the ground rules and we like got to work. And here I am, a rookie coach with a shitload of high performance experience as an athlete, right? An athlete with that tunnel vision, which in fairness, at the time, I had no idea I had tunnel vision, right? Like that's a perspective that you need to learn at witness when you're outside of it. That's when you can really see how deep you are in the focus mode. Uh, and then you can reflect on it, et cetera, which I've, which I've done. So I, I can say that that's exactly where I was. But I also had a huge ego. I was the best. And we were going to be the best. All right? Well, within the first month, more than half the team wanted to quit. (laughs) I, I, I kid you not. I had, there was parents, they were so pissed. Like the parents were complaining. I basically got complaints from everyone. They were kind of like, what are you doing to our kids? And they were trying to tell me how to coach their kids, what they needed. And I mean, we, they came from a more recreational base, like fun. Let's, let's just go out there and have some fun kind of mentality to, to me who was like, let's go. And they were like requests. They basically were telling me that their kids were working too hard. Like, don't be so hard on them. You should let them go to the mall. Take them to the movies. Let them sleep in. Why do they have 5 a.m. morning warm-up? Like, all of these things that were, they were trying to control from the outside. And I was, like, beside myself. Like, don't these parents want their kids to be the best? Don't they, these athletes want to win and put Ontario back on the map? Like, it was when I was on the team? Like, Think, think about it this way. When you see athletes competing at the Olympics and you watch them perform, you're sitting on your couch or wherever you're watching the games. And when they don't win, you crit- you criticize them. When they do win, you praise them. Like that's the sole job of an athlete competing for their country is to literally win or do the very, very best that they can. Because sometimes, you know, if they're a lesser ranked athlete, they're ne- they're not going to. But Only one person can win and you want it to be your country, right? And the athletes going on to the Canadian national program need to learn formative mental toughness and disciplinary skills at that provincial level in order to be able to handle the demands of what's to come in their competitive future within international competition, the travel, the expectations, the demands. Like there's a lot of stuff that a high performance athlete needs over the course of a long period of time, like over the developmental years for them to be the best and show up and, and, and get that gold. It's not a park and parks and rec team here. So these are the best, best athletes in the province who become the best athletes in the country and then the world. Needless to say, my first year coaching was (laughs) rough, rough. I banged my head against the wall 10,000 times, 100,000 times. I was leading this team to greatness, but they didn't want to follow. Or at least that's what I thought, right? It was really frustrating. After my second year, 
I started to realize that some of the best athletes on the team weren't performing to their best. They weren't getting better necessarily, and they weren't moving on and getting the results that that they should be getting. And, and that was on me. Now I'm thinking, hmm, what do I need to do? I'm the coach. I was the best in the world in Canada, but I wasn't translating that to the athletes. The way I had learned to do it and the way I did it wasn't working. We had like two years under our belts here and I wasn't seeing the needle being pushed, which was a really humbling (laughs) and hard realization to make as the leader of the team. So that's when I decided to get some help from the Ontario Sports Centre. And I was assigned a sports psychologist that worked with coaches, not athletes. They worked with coaches. Very interesting uh, use of resources. Loved it. And I began to work with my now friend, Dr. Kelly Dell. So you may have heard him on the show. He's been on the podcast um, a few years ago. And he's the type of psychologist, if you will, that's a feel-based psychologist. Feel in quotations. He really focuses on how you are supposed to feel And how you feel physically, mentally, and emotionally throughout your athletic journey really shapes your ability to sustain greatness and build upon technical skill, mental skill, all all sorts of athletic performance skills when you can feel yourself. And his ideology, to be honest, was a little bit nuts for me at first. This was like back in 2000 and I don't know, I feel like I met him in 2008, 2009, However, I needed to learn more about field-based coaching. I knew I was gravitated towards it. I really liked his uh, philosophy, his ideology around it, and all the work that he had done is just really interesting. So I deep dove into the psychology of it and the practice of teaching it. And the following season, the Ontario team had by far the highest performing season ever, ever. We made such a ripple in the freestyle community that I was immediately being recruited by other provinces and even the Canadian team. They wanted me to work with them. And I ended up working with, uh, I was recruited and I did leave Ontario. Uh, I worked with the Alberta freestyle team. Alberta is a Western Canadian province for those of you that are not from Canada. And in two short years, took that team from the worst performing team, the worst performing provincial program in Canada for years to the best in Canada. Within two years, athletes from all over the country were trying to get on the Alberta team and work with me. We were an athlete factory. And not only that, the athletes were excelling in school, extracurriculars, learning how to take responsibility for their time, nutrition, fitness, mental health. They were making life choices on their own to put themselves in really good positions post-career. Those of them that did not make the national team are all incredibly successful in school, in business. There's engineers, there's business owners, doctors, that came out of that program, amazing, amazing. All and all by switching (laughs) my coaching strategy. 
So how did I do it? Here's the thing. This is a really hard lesson to accept and learn. And if you're listening to this and you're like interested in it, I'm like, this is what like gets my juices flowing. This is like my why. I, I fucking love this shit so much. <laughs> the hard lesson for me to accept and learn from was that, that being the best in the world doesn't mean that you know how to make someone else the best in the world. And I know some of you listening kind of get that, but let me put it this way. If you hate being single and you want to find an amazing partner, you might get some advice from someone who has been in your shoes before to help you, right? Um, you look for advice from people who have walked your walk. And so you do everything that they tell you to do. But does this mean that you're going to find love and be happy in your relationship? Think about it that way. If you're an entrepreneur, and I see this all the time as a female entrepreneur myself, any female entrepreneurs in the house today, (laughs) have you ever taken business advice or a business course or paid for a coach, like a multi-million dollar company with this amazing sales strategy? Just do everything that we tell you to do and you're gonna be a a millionaire. So you do it, you spend all the money, you do all the things, and it barely pushes the needle? Yeah, okay. This is what I like to call the difference between knowledge and knowing. I have a few variations of this lesson that I like to speak about. So you may have heard me talk about knowledge versus knowing. But for the context uh, of this podcast, I, for example, had a lot of knowing, or excuse me, a lot of knowledge, knowledge about the way I rose to the top and won. The problem was that I believed that there was only one way to reach this level of success, the way I took it. I only knew one way, and that's the way. (laughs) This is the way to do it. One, two, three, four, five. You can only count to five with your hand this way, all right? I trusted my coaches and the process that I took to become a national champion and World Cup gold medalist and took that knowledge and carbon copied it to these athletes that I was responsible for. And I had to bash my head against the wall for a long time before I realized that not all humans learn the same way as me. I knew that, but I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't understand, I didn't realize that not All humans understand things the way that I understand them, nor can they relate to instructions in the same way or have the same work ethic or determination as me or have the same passions that I had or have the same level of natural skill and ability that I was born with that utilized. Freestyle skiing is a freaking demanding sport. It's the bumps and jumps, okay? It's 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 freaking technical. It's hard. It's basically gymnastics on skis moving at 50 kilometers an hour, flying through the air, flipping and spinning. Like, it's nuts. And it wasn't until I worked with Dr. Kelly Dell and started to see outside of the box that I was living in, like, expand my tunnel vision, even, like, two degrees out was just like, whoa, that I was really able to see that my conditioned mind is different from other people. My mind is different. The way I've been conditioned to think and believe and see the world is not the same as even a fellow teammate of mine on the same team, okay? It was at that same time too that I started to work with my spiritual coach, Adele Stratton, on more personal matters outside of work. And that's when everything really clicked. 
So I, on the professional side, let's talk about that first. Like on the professional side, I was working with a psychologist who was teaching me how to teach at an extremely technical high level by feel. So instead of telling an athlete to like put their center of mass more forward over the center of their foot, I would describe exactly what that technical skill would feel like so that they would know a hundred percent and get a hundred percent feedback from their body of whether they were doing it or not. Okay. So sometimes I like film them. I'd film every single skill that they were doing and ask them whether they believed they were doing the skill or not. For example, I'll give you an example. If the goal was to have straight arms on the takeoff of a jump, so the athletes are going off the jumps and I want their arms straight up over their head, I would ask them, were your arms straight? Yes or no? If the athlete said yes, but the answer was no, like their arms visibly were not straight, then I'd show them on the video that their arms were bent as like proof of validation. That feeling you had is not the feeling of straight arms. Let's try it again. Make your body feel something different so we can assess that feedback. And we would do this over and over and over and over and over again. And it was super frustrating because the, the, the athletes just wanted me to to have them move on to the next skill. And I wouldn't let them. You had to learn it, how to feel it, all right? So that they could do it right. And no other coach in the world in freestyle was coaching in this way. I don't even know how, I, I, I don't know every coaching style out there, but I have never yet met another coach that coached this way, nobody. And I think a big part of this is because it's scary to empower athletes. Many coaches want to feel important and that their feedback super important every time. Like you have to always tell the athletes what to do. And of course, it is during like the learning parts, right? When your athlete can't do the skill properly, I spent I spend all of my time teaching them how to do it. However, when they get it, when there's not much else for me to do, but support them and motivate them because they know that they get it. They don't even need me to say I got it. They know They can feel it. It feels good. It feels right. They've been conditioned to believe that feeling, to trust their bodies and their skill level to a degree that is like indescribable. It's so powerful. So like I get, I'm so jazzed. (laughs) Okay. So that was on the professional side. On the personal side during that time, I was going through a nasty divorce. I was brokenhearted. I was so fucking stressed. I was 85 pounds overweight. I was living at my mom's and I started to learn intuitive awareness, which is basically the spiritual version of feel-based coaching. And I was like immediately hooked. I was seeing, I was literally seeing this technique at a technical skill level, changing athletes' lives. And I was like, I can do this. I mean, was I great at it? Took me a long time to learn, (laughs) a long time. We're talking years to really understand what I was doing. It was just so foreign and outside the box and outside of the group think of what to do to lead a happy life, to live your best life. That was like during the live your best, live, laugh, love time, okay? (sighs) So (laughs) where was I? I? I, oh. Right. I was learning to teach technical skills by feel, and I was also learning to heal spiritual and mental and emotional wounds by feel. And that was 
that was when I became hooked. And when you get so much feedback from inside your body, what part of you, think about it this way, what is it that you get feedback from, from your body? It's your intuition, your gut. You know when you're, you get that gut feeling? Oh, you know that. You know that feeling. You know that that's your intuition speaking, right? You know it. I know you know. However, do you always listen to your gut? Do you always listen to your gut? Or have you been conditioned, just like I was conditioned, to win, to ignore that gut pull for the sake of others? Right? You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, so you hurt your own. You don't want anyone to be mad at you, so you're mad at yourself. You want everyone to like you, so you go against yourself to fit in. This is what intuitive awareness shows you. It shows you your conditioning. It shows you your program, your domestication. So you can see the ways in which you get in your own freaking way. The way life has taught you to get into your own way. The way culture has deemed acceptable defaults to get into your own way. How we deny, run, bury, like lie how we sabotage our wellness, how we victim signal, how we virtue signal. Look at how virtuous I am. Look at how how victimized I am. How sorry you are for me. Look at that. All your reactions, all of it. Intuitive awareness shows you all of it. That's all just conditioning. It shows you why you think the way you think and believe the things that you believe. And it's so fascinating because once you see it, once you see someone referred to it as the matrix the other day. And I'm like, I don't want to go that voodoo fucking shit. It's not voodoo. It's literally just paying attention in a specific way. But once you see it, you see it in all things. That's the thing. Once you see it, you see it in all things. Once you see the program and how your mind leads you to believe very specific things and riles you up and you automatically react with emotion, how your emotions are automated and they come up and you you fight back or you laugh or you have like, you start crying or you get hurt. Like those things are automatically coming up. You're not deciding to, you're not choosing to feel that way. It's happening automatically 90% of the time. All right. It, it, it's, it's so amazing how you're programmed to believe what's good and what's bad. Who's being good and who's being bad. Who's being fair and who's being unfair. Once you see that, you can't unsee it. And of course, there was suffering in this process. Of course, there's suffering. There's suffering in all processes. That's the thing. That's how you get to the outcome. You have to go through the process and focus on that through the ups and the downs, through the pendulum swing of life, there's going to be high and low moments. There's going to be suffering, especially like having to admit to myself that I need help and I'm I'm not able to help these kids and I need to learn something. That, that made me feel really shitty. And I could have been this victim, but instead I was like, fuck this. I want to be awesome at this and I'm going to dedicate myself and work freaking hard at it. So I did. We don't want to work hard. I'm seeing this. I'm going on a tangent here, but I see this so often. People right now don't want to work hard for awesome, for an awesome life anymore. They just want it handed to them. It's like, oh my God, 
Like life is hard and you are, you are making your life heaven on earth or hell on earth. That is you. You are choosing that. I know you don't, you don't understand that and you don't see it that way. And that's okay. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. And the process of learning and practicing intuitive awareness helps you to see it. Right. And when I say I'm not my thoughts and that and that the ideas I attach meaning to weren't my ideas, that is painful. That is hard. It's painful to look in the shadows and hold space for yourself to feel all that shit that you've learned to bury and suppress. Especially like when there's no there's not a lot of support around you or people that are like you or that you can lean on because communities, we need to lean on each other as we grow spiritually and emotionally. And when we learn to hide our emotions and suck it up and don't be so weak, you pussy. You know how many times I heard that as an athlete? Okay. Sure. It toughened me up, but like, I still felt shit that I didn't know what to do with. And I stuffed it down. And then afterwards, it's like, be pretty, be, be liked, be better, be skinny, you know, all that shit. You're, you're constantly all this automated emotions coming up. I don't know what to do with it. So I would hide and bury it. It was tough. It was through my pain that I created purpose. This entire story is the evolution of my why. It's through that pain and that shit that I had to go through that I created purpose because it can be done. I teach women how to pay attention to their lives and feel the cues of their body and listen to the ways that their body speaks to them, how it speaks to you without words and help you learn powerful self-awareness tools to transform and love your body or your business and your love life. That's what I do. That's my passion. That's my why. And I learned it through a career of athletics. It's a fun, and, and then life on top of that, right? Looking back on those first few years of coaching, you know, yeah, it's great that I had hardware to wear around my neck as an athlete, but what the fuck good is that if I'm unable to help you get that exact hardware? And after 17 years, that's how long it's been since that first year. Wait, is it 18 years now? Oh my God. <laughs> 17 years of trial and error and working with professionals while simultaneously doing all this work myself with my own life, I acquired a level of mastery. This is why I've been able to help so many people. This is the knowing, the knowing, not the knowledge, the knowledge I had early on in life. I had a lot of knowledge and it's interesting because a little bit of knowledge makes you get all cocky and think that you're the best and that you know everything, but you don't know shit. All right. Knowing comes with the experience and moving through the experience with eyes wide open. Right. Understanding the whole the entirety of the experience, not just the tunnel vision. All right. And with all the failures, starting with the failure of missing the Olympic Games and the downward spiral and the depths of despair after that. I did that to myself. That's part of the pain from pain in turning pain into passion. I did that to myself. I attached meaning to that experience and created the illusion that I was a victim, 
a failure and that no one loved me or I would never be, <laughs> never reach my goals or be anything good or whatever the heck it was. Like that. The reality was that the, the sole reality was that I didn't reach my goal. I didn't go to the Olympics. That was it. But because of the meaning I gave the experience, I gained 85 pounds in a year. I married an abusive man because that's what I thought I deserved. I was abusing myself to the same level he was abusing me. I didn't even see the abuse. It was just, that's what I was attracting. I was mirroring. I drank and smoked like a freaking chimney. I drank and smoked. I was killing myself slowly. Having a drink and a cigarette was all I could think about most days. Like literally all I could think about. These are the things that I had to work through and learn to heal from. That's the work. The intuitive awareness was the skill, the practice, but the work was going through these layers of the onion of me and healing from them. I had to learn how to detach from that victim story because I was so attached to it. It became me. I was identified with it. I was the victim. Who was I without that story? Who was I without that as my crutch to get attention from people, to see, have people love me and cherish me and just feel sorry for me? Who was I without that story? Right? I had to learn over and over and over again that same lesson over and over and over again because it showed up. I had pulled it in and it was mirroring through so many aspects of my life at that point because that's what I knew. That was my knowledge. All right. And, and that learning those lessons and seeing them, that's that self empowerment. Self-empowering yourself with your health is the number one thing that you want for longevity and love and general wellness. Self-empowering yourself, when you see it from the outside looking in and you detach from the narratives that keep you small and make you feel shitty in your life, it's like so empowering. You start to see your mental health from a completely different perspective. Mental health is wealth. Your mental health and your physical health and emotional health, all the health, all the elements is wealth. And now, now I can teach anyone that. I can teach women those skills so that they can feel self-empowered too. So that they don't need me anymore. I don't want them to need me anymore. I want to show them and teach them how to feel how to do it, how to go through the motions, exactly what it feels like and be there to support them. Just like I was with my athletes. I give you the wings and watch you fly. And it's so beautiful. And in this process, I also see all the ways that the world will try and stop you from diets to fashion, to skincare, to politics, the media, like mainstream media. I can't even go there. Like they're the the biggest distraction from gender to money to power. There are a zillion ways that marketing, government, influential public figures, they influence your conditioned mind. There is a zillion ways that that happens. But we don't see it because we're in it. We're in the tunnel. You're you, specifically you listening, you're less of a threat to someone else's well-being if you stay in your little box and shut the fuck up. 
right? Just do it this way and you're a good girl and go over there, okay? But when you wake up to that and you choose, like, you can still choose to stay in your box if you want to and shut up. That's great. You can wake up to that and still choose that. At least you know what's happening and you can consciously choose how you want to live your life. That's the thing. Or you can be like, wow, (laughs) I like, I get it. And I am no longer on that path. And you start to level up your vibration and start seeing things differently. Healing starts in the mind. Your mind controls everything that you do, who you are, what you're doing. You can take power from the things controlling you right now. You can take your power back. And listen, personal power and authenticity is your superpower. It's your super power. There's nobody on this earth like you. You don't need to be like anyone else. Your life will feel so much more meaningful and fulfilling when you are empowered. When you learn how to have your own back. When you become the CEO of your life, you need to manage all aspects of your wellness. And that decision begins and ends in the mind, period. Ooh, you're exhibit A. Oh, I just smashed my finger. You are exhibit A. (laughs) Your intuition is your North Star. If you want to be good in 10 years, you need to start making the shifts right now. If you want to be fantastic, fabulous in 10 years, what are you doing? What are you going to do differently? How are you going to do it differently? How are you going to learn and start to build that knowing? And speaking from experience, I had absolutely no fucking clue how amazing life would become, how much I love the feeling inside of myself, how much I love my family and my friends and my pets my partner, Michael, how much I love the feeling of being in my home and, and working in my garden and the fresh air that I get every day and my fitness, my commitment to fitness, the food that I eat, the decisions that I make for my wellness, like the joy and the, com- and the comfort that that brings me. I'm, I, I've completely shifted my priorities in life. And yes, there's a lot of people who don't like me. You don't have to like me. You don't have to, people don't like that I figured it out, that I live on the other side of fear. People are jealous and they're afraid of what they don't know. That's a thing, like same with me. I was afraid of what I didn't know. If I didn't understand something, I denied it. And I I would not learn. That was my coping mechanism. When you are afraid and you deny having conversations with people where you don't feel safe, that's a coping mechanism. All right. People find ways to attack me and my integrity all the time. They canceled me. I've have best friends who have canceled me. I have people who have written nasty emails to me. I have shitty reviews on my podcast. Don't get any ideas. (laughs) Don't get any ideas. (laughs) Um, but yeah, they do this because they're afraid of their, of their own power. And you know, their coping strategy is to believe that they're right. And because I don't think that the way that they think I must be wrong and I am the enemy. It's, it's really, it's really that simple. That's really what's happening. It's risky to grow and expand with personal development. I'll tell you that you'll most likely lose some people in your life, but you won't be sad about it. And that's the thing, like, (sighs) 
when you learn how to observe your mind without judgment, that's like, it's, 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 it's priceless. And then you begin to master those five invisible elements within intuitive awareness. There's five invisible elements. I talk about that in my coaching program. That's what we go through. That's like a huge module in the awakening of your mind. This is what took me years to master the five invisible elements that control your every move. When you start to like get on the other side of that and understand it, you life will never be more satisfying. It's so interesting how it shifts and it shifts for everyone. There's not one person that has not had a shift learning and getting to the other side of these five invisible elements. Not one person, not to mention the power of mentorship is unparalleled. You have to, have you ever wondered why the best coaches in the world still have mentors, still work with coaches, people who are, you look up to that are just like amazing and you're like, oh, you get inspired all the time. They have mentors. It's, it's, it's not because coaching is a giant MLM. <laughs> it's because coaches see the value in outside perspective. You move differently when you invest in yourself and you have support. You move differently when you know someone has your back while you're learning to have your own. And when it comes to mental and emotional growth, you have blind spots. And I believe that you not only have one blind spot, but you likely have five Hence the five invisible elements of intuitive awareness and mentors or coaches are there to help you to see these blind spots. This is how I woke up. I didn't do it by myself. This is how I became aware. I didn't do that by myself. I had a mentor who held my freaking hand. I didn't learn it on my own. It took me time and energy. I invested. You, you also move differently when you put money on the line and you invest in yourself. You do. I invested time and money so that I could learn to break the loop myself, to get out of that box. I didn't want to be there anymore. And I didn't want to feel shitty about not being there either. I want to feel good. And this is what the practice did for me. And I 100% truly believe that every single person listening right now can and will expand and grow and fall back in love with life with intuitive awareness. This is my why. This is why I do it. I just like, ugh. The love I have for this community, for you listening, and the inspiration I get from people every single day is just like so humbling and amazing. Because I believe in humanity. I believe in the goodness. I believe in good people. I know there are so many good people out there. I believe that people are trying to do the best. And, and when they hate on others and cancel them and ghost them and hurt them and say and do mean things to other people and disrespect them and do, there's some heinous shit happening in the world. Heinous. This is because they've been conditioned to believe that that is okay. That it's okay to behave like that. And in some cultures, it's even praised. In Canada, it's been praised to shun and cancel people and, and hate them. Right? This is the fog of the morality. They're, they're conditioned. People are being conditioned to think in black and white. If you're not with me, you're against me. It's everywhere. So understand how or why a person might think that way. And that's okay. It's just from, it's, I have this hope that people are starting to get it. And they're like, oh, I see that behavior in me. I recognize how binary I think, how polarized I've become, how much I hate 
uh, the other side, right? If those are some of, some of the narratives that you're starting to, you know, accept that are within you, then you can start to, that's sort of like your basis of how you're being controlled and, the, and what's feeding that narrative in you. And does it make you a good person to hate someone? I guess that's up to you to decide. Even right now, if you've made it to this point of the show, I'm really curious how many directions your mind has taken you during this podcast. How many emotions have you've connected to or parts of the story that you connect to? How you're relating to what I'm saying, whether you agree or disagree. The awake and aware warrior knows that how others relate is not their responsibility. It's only what they say or do what is in their own life that is their responsibility. So I am responsible for what I say. I am not responsible for what you hear. All right? And the more you wake up, the more power you give yourself to change. There are actually five levels of intuitive awareness. And if you want to find out what level you're at, you can take the quiz at alisaunfilteredcoaching.com forward slash take the quiz. You can also find it at alisaunfilteredcoaching.com on the homepage. There's a lot of links there for you to check out all sorts of stuff on the site. And if you are a level five, great. All right. If you're not and you want to become the CEO of your mental and emotional wellness, feel free to shoot me a DM or an email. I'd be more than happy to be your mentor. (sighs) How's that? How's that for a little bit of an episode rant? I'm excited. That's my why. Thank you so much for tuning in today. That um, I think we need to keep going with this because I think there's more, (laughs) but time is up. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>